Notice that David now cracks like an egg before he gets busted. And to me, that's a, that's a really wonderful thing. When, God, when, you, when you finally come to your senses before God has to send somebody else to tell you something or to tell you himself, he gave David a lot of time to think about what he did. Every creature is unique in a song that it sings, all exclaiming, indescribable, uncontainable. You place the stars in the sky and you know them by name. You are amazing, God. All powerful, untamable, all struck with. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Although David was a man after God's heart, he was not sinless, and he had a heart sensitive to sin when it was committed. Knowing that numbering the people was wrong, he now saw the pride and vain glory that prompted him to do such a foolish thing. God's conviction comes to us when we are unrighteous in our thoughts and actions. Although David was always aware of God's presence, he was not exempt to temptation and sin. Today we know that Jesus has given us believers the Holy Spirit to guide us and convict us when we stray. We must listen to that still small voice. Now let's join Pastor Rob's teaching, already in progress. Say, you know what? You know, you're going to be the next president of the United States. I say, no thanks. My job is right here. And this is what I'd rather do more than anything else. Unless, unless I can get in front of the White House and have Bible studies in the Oval Office and, and do all those things. But you know what? There's too much of a headache. The Lord has given me what I can handle. And even then I start to wonder, you know what I mean? Anyway, so thankful. But that, that's really what was going on here. So there were reasons why a census would be done. And, and um, David did not appear to be taking the census per the description in Exodus 30, but rather for another purpose. And so unfortunately, it's common for men, once they're established, to look around and have pride in what they've done. Nebuchadnezzar did that, you remember? There was a time in his kingdom where he, he was walking around the... The, the, the bulwarks on top of the, the walls, and he made a comment. He's like, and this is what I've done. And he started to think of uh, all that he has done, all that he has done, and, and how great his kingdom was. And little, little did he know that it was God who allowed him to have that preeminence. And even God gave him the vision of the, of, of the gold head, and he was that gold head. And you notice what Nebuchadnezzar did. And, you know, and then those silver, you know, these different alloys and different metals meant different, uh, um, different kingdoms that would come after his. And what did he do in response to that? He builds a gold image, all gold, in the plain of Shinar. In other words, it's not good enough that I'm just ahead and, there's, and these other kingdoms are coming after me. No, I want it all to be gold because it's all about me. Everybody exalt me. And so he puts a gold image, and he's saying he's, he's telling something, isn't he? 
My kingdom, I want it to keep going, and it's all about me. And then God intervened in his life and caused him to go mad. He literally went mad for seven years. And was out in the fields. Lost his mind. But that's, as David is getting older now in his reign, he's starting to think about his posterity. He's thinking about Solomon. He's thinking about maybe he could do God a a service by making sure that he's got a big army. And God doesn't need any of it. Believe me, God can, he doesn't need an army. Trust me, when we come back with Jesus at the end of the tribulation period, and he comes back, I don't see anywhere in the scripture where it tells us that we're going to be doing anything. We're going to be coming back on white horses with him, and he's going to be doing all the work. With a word of his mouth, he's going to, spike, he's going to smash his enemies into pieces. And they will be worthy of receiving that judgment because they rejected the Son of God, the only means of salvation. So while there is nothing wrong with this, we must continue to give the God to God the glory and not touch what he deserves. And maybe this was the motive of David, and I believe it probably was pride. In fact, Jeremiah 17 verse 5 says this, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert, and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land which is not inhabited. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, and whose hope is in the Lord, whose hope is the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river, and will not fear when he comes, but its leaf will be green, and will not be anxious in the year of drought." Nor will cease from yielding fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And God answers that question. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give everyone according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. And so Satan was the one who tempted David to do this in spite of Joab's insistence that it shouldn't be done. Even his bloodthirsty rebellious general Joab, even he said, David, what are you doing? And Joab and David were bumping heads on this, and yet, nonetheless, David's word prevailed. But God wasn't the instigator. Satan was, and he always is. He's always the instigator, always trying to get us to trip. In verse 2 it says, So the king said to Joab, the commander of the army who was with him, Now go throughout all the tribes, from Dan to Beersheba, and count the people, that I may know the number. This means all of Israel. Underline Dan to Beersheba, because if you were to look at a map of Israel, Dan is in the very northern part, right on the border of Syria and Israel. And then down at the very southern border of Israel is Beersheba, down in the desert. And so when he goes from Dan to Beersheba, he's going from north to south. I want you to go from north to south and count all the people. And again, the pride in David's heart was the motivator rather than a directive from the Lord. And apparently it wasn't for a census for the purpose purpose, of obtaining finances for the tabernacle. So verse 3, Joab said to the king, Now may the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times more than there are, and may the eyes of my lord the king see it. But why does my lord the king desire this thing 
Again, even Joab, who again wasn't a faithful man, recognized the wrongness of this. Nevertheless, verse 4, the king's word prevailed against Joab and against the captains. Notice, even his captains. You know, when you've got your commander of the army and his men and your men all saying, you know, this is not good. You really need to think about what you're doing. Because very seldom did the men under David's command resist him. Because when David was walking in the Spirit and doing the things that God wanted him to do, they were all on board. And, you know, I think that's a good lesson for us. You know, those who are around you, especially if you're in any position of leadership or maybe you're in a job, maybe you're the boss, and all of your employees are thinking, you know, this decision you made is really wrong. Have you considered it? No, we're going to do this. And then you, like a pig, you know, you force your, your, you make your demand happen. And then you find out that it's disastrous and you've lost touch with your base. You've lost touch with the people who are on the ground doing all the work. You better listen to them. A a good manager, a good boss is going to listen to those people who are interfacing with the people. And sometimes you just have to swallow your pride and say, you know what, I think they know best. And I think you're right. I'm not going to do that. I think that's a wrong decision to make. And that requires a really special person, a person who is not uh, focused on themselves. But the word, David's word, prevailed. And, uh, and then they crossed over, notice verse 5. They crossed over the Jordan and they camped in Aurora on the right side of the town, which is in the midst of the ravine of Gad and toward Jazer. Now, the way to think about this is if you looked at a map and you saw the Dead Sea, which you know, uh, the Sea of Galilee is up here, then there's the Jordan River, and then it goes down and then into the Dead Sea, Right to the west of the Dead Sea, about 14 miles, about halfway through it, there's a city right on the um, Arnon River. That's right, I got my head to make sure I read that. (laughs) The Arnon River, right on the Arnon River, there is a city called Aurora, and that's where they started the census. And so now, on the east side of the Jordan, they start at this place, and they go right through the... The, the tribes on the east side, they go up north and they go as far as to Dan, up in the very top. And then they circle around and they come back down uh, as they come up from the east side. Then they cross over the Jordan and they come back down above the Sea of Galilee, that is. And then they continue to come down and all the way down to the south into Beersheba. So it's a pretty long trip. In fact, it took them, what, nine months and 20 days to do it? It says, then they came to Gilead in the land of Tahim Hoshdai, and they came to Dan Juan, Dan Ja'an, I'm sorry, and around to Sidon. And so now they're going all the way up, all the way up to Dan. And they came to the stronghold of Tyre, which is on the coast there, and to all the cities of the Hivites and the Canaanites. And then, so they went through all of that, and then they went south, to south of Judah, as far as Beersheba. And so when they had gone through all the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and 20 days. Notice how long it took to get those statistics. It must have been a really interesting time. There must not have been any wars going on. Perhaps the land had been subdued somewhat. And so David just kind of, you know, the army's sitting around doing nothing. And so he gets this idea, you know, why don't we just number the people and that way I can know how big I am. (laughs) And then Joab gave the sum of the number of the king of the people to the king. And there were in Israel 800,000 valiant men who drew the sword. And the men of Judah were 500,000. Now, remember that these were estimates. 
Okay, when he says 800,000, it's probably not 800,000 right on the dot. But those are the men of Israel and Judah. We're going to find out in, uh, in 1 Chronicles 21 that some of these estimates are a little bit different. We'll look at that. But 800,000 valiant men of Israel, 500,000 valiant men from Judah who drew the sword. And moreover, Joab, even in this, he did not do this task faithfully. You know, he, David told him to do this, and, and, and Joab is so incensed by what the king is asking him to do that he, he kind of did it half-baked. He, did like a half, he didn't do the full job. In fact, in First Chronicles 21, verse 6, it says, But he, Joab, did not count Levi and Benjamin among them. For the king's word was abominable to Joab. So Joab, even though he does this, he doesn't even count the Levites. He doesn't count the Benjamites. And yet in First Chronicles 21, it gives us a different number. Now, as we look at this, we have to understand that there's some conjecture here about why the numbers are different. I don't know if it really matters to you. It really doesn't matter to me. But you'll notice when you get to 1 Chronicles 21 that it says 1,100,000 valiant men drew the sword in Israel. And this, may, this number may have been the estimate of all those men. And maybe later on the chronicler knew that Levi and Benjamin added together with those other 800,000 make up the you know, 1,100,000. We really don't know. And it really doesn't matter, to be honest with you. It's just something to be aware of. And then in, uh, it says 470,000 Valiant men came from Judah, and the chronicler either rounded up to 500,000, which is possible, or there were some other people that weren't included in that number. But again, it really doesn't matter. And again, don't let numbers, especially in First and Second Samuel, throw you, because guess what? No, regardless of the numbers, the doctrine of the things that we're reading doesn't change. Do you understand? You know, don't get hung up by numbers. That there were some books in the Bible where the original texts were, um, and Samuel is one of them, and Ezekiel is another one, where there, there was some differences, but they're not big enough to throw anything, and they're not they're not big enough to cause doctrinal changes. Do you understand? And so, those are things to consider. But the original script, the original manuscripts, the originals are flawless. I believe that. It's only when you take and you try to translate a very old document, especially in Hebrew, from what I understand, just a little speck over a, a figure can mean the difference between 500 or 5,000 or 50. And so you can understand uh, over time that can be a little daunting. But let's go on to verse 10 here in, uh, in our chapter 24. Notice what it says that David's heart condemned him after he numbered the people. And so David said in the, uh, to the Lord, no, notice that David did this of his own volition. So how long did it take him? Nine months and, ten, or and 20 days. Nine months and 20 days. Remember when he committed the sin with Bathsheba and killed her husband Uriah? It was about a year before the Lord finally busted him. The Lord sent the prophet to go and confront him. And then David cracked like an egg. Thank God. But notice that David now cracks like an egg before he gets busted. And to me, that's a, that's a really wonderful thing. When, God, when, you, when you finally come to your senses before God has to send somebody else to tell you something or to tell you himself, he gave David a lot of time to think about what he did. And so finally, David's heart does convict him. 
And so he, because he had numbered the people. So David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I've done, but now I pray, O Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done foolishly. And you know, conviction is a wonderful gift. It brings to mind what we've done wrong, and it gives us the opportunity to what? To confess and to repent. Do you know the difference between conviction and condemnation? Conviction brings us closer to God. And causes us to confess and to repent. Where condemnation pushes us away from God. And you always know who is at work depending on how you respond to that correction. Or you respond to that feeling of either conviction or condemnation. If you are finding yourself being convicted about something and it's causing you to get things right. Then praise the Lord, that's the Spirit of God. But when you sense that you are feeling Like, and the devil's whispering in your ears, oh, because you've done that, you're nothing now. You've always been nothing, and God knew that all along, and now everybody else knows that you're nothing, and you should just kill yourself. You should just kill yourself. God doesn't want you. The church doesn't even want you anymore. So you might as well just drop off the face there. In fact, just why don't you take that crack pipe that you put away, and why don't you go downtown and buy some rocks Why don't you go have yourself a good time and numb that pain that you're feeling inside. And see, the devil will always do that. He'll always condemn you, and then it just brings you to destruction. It brings you away from God, where God's conviction wants to bring you close to him. So you always know who's at work. And believe me, the devil is very cunning. He knows you and I very well. He's been studying us. But there's one who knows us much better, and there's one who is on our side. Right? I almost want to break off in that song. God is on our side. <laughs> right? He's on our side. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So you don't have to fear the devil. You just keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. I don't want to be focused on what he's doing all the time. You know, there's Christians that do that. It just drives me crazy when you're around some Christians and all they do is they're focused about the devil. Oh, did you hear? Man, the devil did this and the devil did that. And do you know he's setting me up? And man, I can just, you know, and they get this and they get all uptight. And you're like, Why are you so focused on the devil? Why don't you just stop and get your eyes on Christ and live a blessed life? And your countenance will, instead of looking like a wilting flower, you're going to be like a daisy in the sun. What's the problem here? Stop focusing on the devil. Somebody needs to hear that. (laughs) Stop focusing and paying attention to what the devil's doing. Pay attention to what God wants you to do and forget about him. God's going to take care of him. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus. Amen? But it took about 10 months for David to finally come around. Now, verse 11, it says, When David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer, or David's prophets. And and notice that David remembered that old feeling that he had when he had sinned with Bathsheba and killed her husband. There's a gnawing feeling, and David was very familiar with that. You know, sometimes, you know, when these things happen to us and you start to feel that same feeling again, that's a great time to get on your knees and ask God to forgive you. And hopefully you know what it is. And usually we do. Usually we know we're in rebellion and we're getting that same old sinking, tanking feeling in our hearts. And that's the time to stop, drop, and roll. As Dick Van Dyke, remember the old uh, commercial about if you catch on fire, stop, drop, and roll? Do you guys remember that? Or was that Smoky Bear? I don't remember what it was. It doesn't really matter. But the idea is that when you get that feeling, David got that feeling. He's like, oh, I've been here before. I've been here before, and I tell you what, I don't want to live through that again. Lord, I want to come clean with you. (laughs) 
And that God was waiting for David all along to do that. But how patient God is with us. Notice, nine months and 20 days, the patience and wonderful grace of God. Don't ever take God's grace for granted and, 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 and take advantage of it. We do that. We typically do that. But may as we get older in the Lord, maybe as we get older and more mature in Christ, let's, hopefully we'll all do that much, much less. We won't take it for granted. Don't take His grace for granted. Relish the grace and thank Him for the grace and walk in His Spirit and walk in that grace and thank Him for it. Amen? So important to do. So, Gad, uh, David's seer, uh, the Lord tells him, Go and tell David, thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose one of them for yourself that I may do it to you. And I'm thinking to myself, oh boy, something's going to happen to me. And now I've got a choice. I always hate that. It's like the price is right. Door number one or two or three. What's it going to be? But notice there's always a consequence for sin. Always. Notice that the consequence wasn't even just upon David, but it was really upon all of Israel. This turmoil that this was for David to see the judgment of God being meted out on the people when it wasn't affecting him. Can you imagine the guilt of that? You know, there's nothing worse than something that you've done is causing the pain of others when you yourself are not being affected at all. And I think that's just crushed David because David as a shepherd, that just wasn't his heart. It wasn't his heart. We're going to see that it wasn't. And God allowed that. And I bet that just gnawed on him and just brought an end to him, which is always a good place for us to be, to bring us to an end of our selfishness, of our self-life, of our sin and rebellion. God wants to bring an end to it. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. That's what David got for his sin. His error was to watch these people that he was king over. 70,000 men died in three days. Galatians 6 tells us, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For what, uh, whatsoever a man sows, that he will also reap. And it's true, isn't it? So in verse 13, So Gad came to David and told him, and he said to him, Shall seven years of famine come to you in the land? Which actually should be three. You might want to put in your Bible, three years, it's not seven years, and we'll talk about that in a minute. It's actually three years of famine. Shall three years of famine come to you in your land? Or shall you flee three months before your enemies while they pursue you? Or shall there be three days plague in your land? Now consider and see what, you, what answer I should take back to him who sent me. Now I said that there was three, three days. Or I'm sorry, three years of famine, I'm sorry. The Septuagint translation, which you know is the... Greek translation of the Old Testament. It reads literally three instead of seven. And also in First Chronicles, the parallel account to this account also reads three years of famine. Okay, And it fits what, what God is doing. He's using the word three. I'm giving you three choices, three you know, months of, of famine, uh, three months before you arise while, you, while the enemies pursue you, or three days plague. <laughs> And so the Lord gives him these three things. And David said, I am in a great distress. Please let us, notice, fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great. But do not let me fall into the hand of man. Listen, it is such a blessing to fall into the hand of God. 
Because God is the only one who really knows what is necessary to get you to turn. That concludes our time for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.